Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you to his spirit. I, I actually don't feel like I need to give a sermon uh, by this point, but I'm scheduled to. I got to. I'm Harold, one of the pastors. We're going to continue through Gospel versus Religion series. If you have your Bibles, we're going to project it overhead. We had a mini miracle this morning where the projection works. Thank you, God, for that as well. So let's turn to the Gospel, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, going to talk about good people versus bad people. Okay, how we view the world, good people versus bad people. This is God's word, let me read it for us. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Thanks be to God for his word. There's an old, old film with a very troubled boy who whispers, I see dead people. A troubled, haunted boy kept saying, I see dead people. Of course, this was from Shyamalan's uh, Sixth Sense, where the boy was able to see things that other people could not see. And this gospel of Jesus Christ actually gets you to see things that other people cannot see. Only the gospel of Jesus will get you to see things that otherwise you would never see. Uh, This is why Jesus told this parable. Two men, two characters, two figures, each see the world and their fellow humanity in entirely two different ways. So typically what I do, I'm going to break it up into three angles or three parts. What religion sees, what Jesus sees, and third, what you must see. What religion sees, what Jesus sees, and third, what you must see. First, what religion sees. Uh, The way that the Pharisee prays reflects the most basic and natural way to see the world. Verse 11, we read, I thank you, God, I'm not like these other men. You see, the way that he sees it is that there's bad people out there while I am good praying to you, O God, inside the temple, inside here. Bad people out there, well, I'm a good person in here. Now, where in the world does this come from? Where does that kind of point of view come from? I'll tell you where. 
Everybody finds ways to feel better about themselves. That's where it comes from. Okay, you with me on that one? Everybody finds ways to feel better about themselves. So you see, if you're religious, the religious form that this takes is that you do more religious things. The Bible calls it you do more righteous things. You do better things so that you can feel like you're not like other people. And in fact, you might be better than other people. But I don't think that this concept of wanting to feel righteous than others is just a religious concept. It's a universal desire and drive, is it not? I don't think it's confined to just religious people doing religious things. I think everybody finds ways to feel better about themselves. Now, yes, it's this concept of righteousness. It's from the Old Testament and New Testament. It basically means to be approved. It's to pass through intense scrutiny. You got to get through all these tests. And of course, one of our very own, who we are so proud of, dear and handsome, Andrew Wang, will be ordained as a pastor today, four o'clock in the afternoon, over in Artesia at the Cerritos Presbyterian Church campus. You're all invited to pray and cheer and encourage and uh, encourage him on as he has passed many tests. He's gone through the scrutiny. But back to this story that Jesus tells, he says, Pharisees are religious types who always have to feel like they pass, they pass, they pass by doing a lot more righteous things than you. But I don't think it's just religious people who do that. See, for instance, when you got that letter or your child is getting that letter from that fine university, I mean, it's world class. And it says, you've been accepted. We interviewed you. We took a look at your test scores. We saw your resume, your background. You're so well-rounded. Your essay kind of blew, uh, blew us away. You have been admitted. Welcome now. Or you get that email from that company or that club or that society that is elite and you have now been accepted in. I mean, who here doesn't feel good about that? Of course, you should feel good. That right there is the world's way of achieving righteousness. That's a way to feel better about ourselves. Now, in Western culture, we base self-esteem or how we feel about ourselves upon individual success, individual achievement, individual awards, recognition, how much money you can make or how beautiful you look. That's Western culture. You feel better about yourselves based upon your individual achievements. Uh, But in the East, and some of you may be more traditional in this way, uh, we have parents who operated this way. There was a Japanese artist who once shared with his pastor the following. In Japan, if you lose your job, you don't go home and tell people that you lost your job. Because it's too shameful. So every day you don't tell anybody you lost your job. You actually put on a suit and you leave and you go out and hang out with other people who have lost their jobs. In certain cultures, you feel better about yourself based on individual success and performance. In other cultures, you feel better about yourself because you make your family proud. You make your community or group brag about you. But there's a glaring, glaring problem. To all of these scenarios, if you're honest, 
You know, no matter how proud people get of you, there's some people in, you, in here that you, you get complimented left and right. In fact, people could never guess that you have low self-esteem based upon what you have done and what people say about you. But some of you, even if you get complimented and applauded and respected and rewarded, deep down inside, you never feel like it's enough. It's never enough, is it? Others of you, you just can't wait for other people to tell you that you're good enough. But in any case, why is it never enough? How come we can't get rid of that? Well, the Bible tells us why. In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when you and I were absolutely right with God, when we were absolutely loved and adored and paid attention to by God, our maker, we were living large. (laughs) We were living full and free and unashamed. Because when you and I were right with God, approved by God, here's what you did not need. You no longer needed other people to say you're doing good. When you and I are so absolutely approved by God, you don't need other people's approval. You don't have to control or spin things about what really happened to defend your case. You don't have to be too hurt or crushed by what people think or criticize you for. When you are approved and right with God, nothing else really matters. But when you and I are not right, when you and I are not sure, when we're constantly insecure, when we're always not sure about how loved or approved we are, everything else but God will never be enough, never enough, never enough. Because our hearts are aching for that ultimate approval that can only come from your maker. What religion sees is Bad people out there, and we're the good people in here, because that's just a religious way of trying to make ourselves feel better. Now, here's what Jesus sees. Do you want to see what Jesus sees? Do you want his point of view? That's why I told this parable. Verses 11 and 12 again, the first character of Pharisee, prayed like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. First, I want you to notice that outward behavior is the Pharisee's basis for his righteousness. Outward behavior is how the Pharisee religious types feel better about themselves. Notice his prayer. He never looks inside. He never talks about integrity or character. All he talks about is what you do on the outside. But Jesus sees that. Oh, my friend, I want you to know this morning, you know, Jesus sees all that. He sees all that. Where people try to feel better about themselves based upon their outward performance or behavior. Second, here's what Jesus sees. And he told it this way. When the Pharisee prayed, did he pray with or among the people? No, it said he was standing by himself. You see, secondly, he separated himself positionally. He separated himself positionally. That must mean that he purposely moved away from other people, probably maybe came up on a stage so it's elevated, and maybe closer to the altar. 
The Pharisee not only based his righteousness upon his outward behavior, the Pharisee separated himself spatially, even physically. And then he prayed, I'm not like these men. Well, all he was doing was he was just physically acting out what he felt and prayed. I'm really not like those people down there or out there. Because religious people only see bad people out there and good people in here, they way, way overstress and obsess with staying away and keeping clean and pure from those kind of people out there. Religious people mistakenly think, I think I can almost completely avoid sin if I just stay away from people and places who march for things like that or vote for things like that and dress like that and talk like that and smoke that and drink that or party like that. Religious people actually think that you could stay clean and pure as long as you just stay away from all those people like that. But that is not what Jesus sees. The first character of Pharisee prayed because his righteousness, he felt better about himself based on outward behavior. He separated himself spatially and even physically. Here's third. He had contempt for others. Verse 9 read, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Contempt is the attitude where you look down on other people. Now, how is it that the Pharisee looked down on other people? He, well, he listed it off. He says, I don't extort. I don't cheat on my finances. I don't take advantage of you. I am faithful and true to my wife. He does not commit adultery. He does not cheat. He's never gone on a business trip, ever fooled around. Not once. He says... I am not into all these other things that tax collectors do. And then he adds this little thing. He says, not only I tithe, he says, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. That's a lot. I heard it's actually good for your body and for your diet too. But he fasts twice a week. Can I ask you a question? Do you know where in the Bible it says to fast twice a week? Can someone here uh, cite me the chapter and verse? If you did, I'd really be frightened. Because there's nowhere in the Bible. So the Pharisee is sitting there and actually praying and bragging to God of doing something that's actually extra. It's not even in the Bible. Now, listen to me, listen to me, my friends. Everyone here in this room, listen. When you and I are not absolutely secure and sure and loved and approved before the one that ultimately matters, you are going to do this too. And you do do this too. You always do this too. You're going to pick something personal. You're going to pick something cultural. You're going to pick something maybe from your family. You're going to pick something from, well, I'm from the Northeast. The Northeast is better than here. You're going to pick something that's not scriptural. It's actually personal, subjective, and superstitious. And you're going to use that. And you know what you're going to do with that? You know what you're going to do with that? You're not going to just try to feel like you're not like other people. You're going to try to use that and say, I'm going to feel better than other people. Better than other people. Because who here doesn't like feeling better than other people? And this is what leads to contempt for others. Now, Jesus sees all of this, what's going on inside of religion and inside all of our hearts. 
Mind you again, the Pharisee is a good, good, really good man. Oh, I assure you. He makes money. He studied hard. He is respected. He is well-dressed. He is educated. He's faithful to his wife. I'm sure his kids are perfectly behaved too. And then he can show you his tax reports and tithing reports. He gives to the poor and to the church. But I want you to pay closer attention. Because in the prayer, it starts off well. Because the first word is God. God, I thank you. That's how his prayer starts. But you're never going to hear about God again. Did you catch that? You're going to have to go back in your scriptures or on your phones and look at this. He starts off by saying God. But then the entirety of the rest of his prayer. God is never referred to or praised ever yet again. Do you know why? Because his prayer is all about him. See, religion is always about you. And here's what Jesus sees. Underneath the veneer of being God-centered, you can actually still be utterly self-centered. Do you know that Jesus can see underneath all the God talk, God morality, God activity, God songs, God inspiration, God stuff, that in your heart of hearts, you're God. And it's actually a worship and an obsessing and a defending and an elevating of yourself. Jesus sees all this and he exposes it. You know, that's why in this gospel, Luke 18, he tells the parable of the obviously good person of the Pharisee, contrasted with the obviously bad person of the tax collector. But two or three chapters before, he told maybe one of the most famous parables. It was the famous parable of the prodigal son. He told that a man, a wealthy, wealthy man, had a good, almost perfectly firstborn son. And then he had a second younger son who was what we call the black sheep. Always outside of the box, always rebellious, doesn't stay put. And so the obviously bad younger son takes off from his father's home, trashes his father's name and legacy and reputation. Believe me, that, that is what was going on. This is an ancient Near Eastern culture. And he actually took all of his investment or trust fund or whatever he got from his dad and he blew it all on parties and prostitutes. That's specifically what Jesus says. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives you a portrait of the obviously good older son versus the obviously bad younger son. Isn't this the same thing happening in Luke 18? Back-to-back portraits here, is it not? Now, please do not mistake and misunderstand or misapply this from this point. Please do not go home or tell anybody, I heard at Christ Central and Pastor Harold, that it's okay to be a prodigal and tax collector. You can just go on and do that. Jesus never, ever, ever says, it's okay for you to be the wasteful prodigal son. It's okay for you to be a tax collector and just keep on going. Just keep on doing that. He never says that. But here's the question that you should really ask. Between the obviously good person and the obviously bad person, who gets justified? Who is made right with God? Who gets forgiven? 
Who is loved? Who is accepted? Who is approved? In fact, in Luke 15, who is even kissed from head to toe by our Heavenly Father who is infinitely rich? So do you see what Jesus sees? Because here's what Jesus sees. Jesus does not see good people versus bad people. Jesus, his point of view is not good people over here, bad people over there. No, no. Here's what Jesus sees. He sees there are some people who still think they're good enough without him. And then there's some people who know that they're not. That's what Jesus sees. There are a lot of people who think they're just good enough without him. And then there's some people who came to realize and see that they're not. Because over and over and over and over again, I don't know, I mean, the more you read the Bible and the Gospels, it just flips everything, right? It, it just gives you a whole new set of lenses. Read it. Keep reading it over and over and over and over. Here's what happens over and over and over. The good people walk away from Jesus. Good people don't get to Jesus. Good people don't even get Jesus. While the bad people constantly fall into his arms. Good people walk away. They don't need Jesus. While the obviously bad people are moving and rushing and can't wait to get close to him. Somehow, some way. And here's the worst thing about religion. And as your pastor does keep me up at night, certain nights, especially preparing this week and praying for you, not only does Jesus expose what's going on inside of religion, but the worst part about religion is this, is you're never going to see hell coming. The worst part for religious people is you can go to church your entire life but you're more deceived and you didn't know that's a more effective smooth road right down into hell. That's the worst part about religion. And Jesus wants you to see it. What religion sees, good versus bad. What Jesus sees, there's still a lot of people who think they're good enough, sufficient enough, smart enough, in control enough, savvy enough, rich enough, just good enough to be without him. And then there's some people who finally realize that they're not. So here's what you must say. Oh, my friends, here's what you and I must say. (laughs) Verse 13 and 14, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So first you got to see your sin. First you got to see your sin. The tax collector prays and sees himself as a sinner. Now I'll tell you, you're never going to come and see your sin as long as you compare yourself with other people. 
I know I'm talking to a very self-conscious and socially conscious group. There's a lot of strengths to that. But it can be deadly for you to ever get the gospel. You see, if you think sin is always external, behavioral, outward, there's always going to be someone worse than you. Of course there is. I'm in a room full of people who's way above average. On that basis, of course. But do you understand that the tax collector, the only way he could see his sin was that he saw what God saw in him. He was not being comparative. He was not looking horizontally. He was not just looking at his fellow man and woman. He could care less now about what everyone else was doing or what they didn't do or what they said they did. He just didn't care anymore. Do you know what he was more concerned about? It was not horizontal, it was vertical. He knew that he's not going to be graded on a curve. You're not going to be graded on a curve, my friend. You are going to be judged and graded by God who is perfect and righteous and true. Like, you got to give an accounting to him. Just you and him. And what is it that we owe if God made me and he gave me the breath of life? Here's what I owe. I owe everything, but I don't give him everything, do I? Not even close. That's your sin. And this tax collector came to see what God sees, what Jesus sees. And he began to pray, I'm a sinner. Ever since my daughters were born, Taylor and Elizabeth, now they're full-grown teenagers. And my feeling on this hasn't changed at all. I've asked, you know, I think of ominous dark things, right, a lot. What's the most harmful thing my daughters could ever do to me if and when they grow up? What would be the most hurtful thing that Taylor and Elizabeth could do to me? And uh, my answer to that has not changed to this day. It would be that when they get old enough or independent enough, they come to mom and dad, Harold and Sonny. Thank you so much. You've done a pretty good job raising us. We accounted for all the financial costs that probably would have gone into birth and childcare and food and house and rent and all the things of our volleyball practices and gas and drives back and forth. And we came to this figure and actually uh, here it is. The entirety of it all. And we just want you to know, Harold and Sonny, uh, we're not going to be calling you. You can't call us. We got passports. We're moving. And uh, from this point on, we just never want to have contact with you again. That I think would be the most hurtful thing any sensible parent could ever receive. Is where your kids, of course, they become independent in a certain sense. But then they declare and just live out absolute autonomy from that point on. They just say, mom and dad, you're no longer my mom and dad. You're never, ever going to be in contact with me again. I'm out of here. Now, here's what I would imagine would never happen. If that were to happen, and I hear years down the line that one of my daughters won the Nobel Prize. Wow. They won the Nobel Peace Prize. Impressive. The other one finds a cure for cancer. Maybe one became a professional athlete. Maybe the other one is balling and making so much money. I mean, it's just obscene. But do you think any of those things that my daughter would end up doing could put my heart back together again. 
Would any of the good things that they do apart from me put back the broken heart? And my friends this morning, you got to see what your greatest sin is. You got to see what your, what your deepest sin is. You got to see the sin. Here's the sin. You don't really want, you don't really want to have anything to do with God. Deep down, you don't want to be told by God. You don't want to be instructed by God. You don't want to be convicted by God. You don't want to be corrected by God. You don't want to be loved by God. You don't want to be led by God. You just don't want, you want nothing to do with God. And so you have religious people who are just perfect on a Sunday and do everything on that Sunday. But if we're honest, do you know why you do that on a Sunday? It's so that Monday through Saturday, you can tell God, please get off my back. Then you got all these other people over here running hard, running hard, escaping, ignoring, forgetting everything, and they just want to live it up for themselves like the prodigal son. But you're rebelling hard. Why? Why are you rebelling so hard? Because you want nothing to do with God. Can I tell you the marvel and the beauty of this God, though? Because what would you do with someone who wants to, do, who wants to have nothing to do with you? What would you do? And yet God came down in Jesus Christ and did everything to get you back. You got to see your sin, my friend. You got to see your deepest and darkest and greatest sin. It's the declaration of autonomy. And then you got to go and see your need for mercy. That's what the tax collector prayed. God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. That's the second thing you must see. That's the second thing you must pray. In the old temple, in the inner sanctum, which was locked off and reserved only for the great high priest on the day of atonement. There was this thing called the Holy of Holies. And back in the Old Testament, the actual appearance or manifestation of the presence of God would come down on the Ark of the Covenant. Anyhow, you got to go through all kinds of procedures and scrutiny to even dare come close to that place. In the Holy of Holies, for anyone to come near God, you got to pass through all kinds of scrutiny. Who can pass perfect, infinite scrutiny? You know, 1989, a movie directed by Steven Spielberg, co-written by none other than George Lucas. That's quite a combo. It was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And Indy has his dad, played by Sean Connery, who is dying. He's on the verge of death. And so Indiana Jones, his greatest mission in pursuit is to find the Holy Grail. It's the only power left to heal his dying dad. But in order to get the Holy Grail, he's got to pass through three tests, three trials. Go watch the movie. And the first trial is about the breath of God, the breath of God. And he repeats and mutters to himself because he has a book that gave him a clue of how to pass the test of the breath of God. It says, only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man will pass. And he keeps muttering that to himself. Only the penitent man will pass. And then at the last moment, he realizes, oh, penitence, that means they must be humble. So I got to kneel. And he kneels. And as soon as he kneels, there's this razor-sharp triple pendulum that passes right over his head. If he had not knelt, his head would have been cut off. He passed test number one. The second test is about the word of God or the name of God. And Indiana Jones figures out cleverly, oh, the name of God is Jehovah. Jehovah. And there's a cobblestone path right in front of him with letters on it. And so the first letter should be Jehovah. 
J. He lands on the J, but then he almost falls through to his death. It's lucky he survived because he realizes to himself, no, this is the Latin alphabet. Jehovah starts with an I. So he redoes it and spells out Jehovah starting with an I. He passed the second test. The third test, there's a statue, a carving out of a lion's head and said from the lion's head, you must take a leap or a step of faith. And Indiana Jones figures out, oh, no, 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 no. Because before him seems a bottomless, dark, infinite chasm to get to the other side. He says, oh, what this means is I got to take a leap of faith. I got to take a leap of faith. I just got to believe and jump. And you see him step out with his left foot into that dark abyss. But there was a pathway that he lands safely upon that was not visible to the eye until you stepped out. So Indiana Jones passed all three tests and he got to the Holy Grail. Religion will always tell you, you better be like Indiana Jones. Religion will tell you, you better pass all the tests because religion is about you. Do you know what the gospel tells you? The gospel tells you Jesus didn't pass the test so that you can. Only the gospel tells you and shows you someone who got his head cut off, someone whose name was blasphemed and spat upon, and someone who did take a leap of faith, but he ended up getting crucified upon a cross. The only way you can become a Christian today, the only way anyone ever becomes a Christian, is not by your merit, it's by his mercy. It's not by your life, it's by someone else's life. It's by you seeing that you are sinful, autonomous, trying to control and save your own self, and then praying to God for his utter mercy, which means to atone and cover over All of our sin. Because when you turn and pray to Jesus. Have mercy upon me a sinner. He pours out the full forgiveness. The full supply of his love. He is your atonement. Who makes you one and right with God. And from that point on. You are approved. You have passed. Because he passed. And you are absolutely right with God. My friends, if this is true, how could this not change every relationship? You see, because some of you are still looking up at people too much. It's good to admire and respect and look up to people. We should have mentors and coaches, of course, all the time. But I'm talking about you look up to him in an envious, unhealthy way. You're living your life. Some of you are living your life right now where you look up to people so much where you want to be them. You want to be like them. You want to imitate them. You want to have what they have. You want to go where they go. You want to work where they work. And so you end up what? Envying them and you hate yourself. When you look up at people in an unhealthy way, you actually end up hating yourself. But if it be true that you are right and approved by God, you don't have to look up at them. You're just looking at Jesus. And if you're looking at Jesus, you're not going to look down on people anymore. No, not as much as you used to. 
You're not going to have contempt and look down on all those bad, despicable people out there? How could you? How could you? How could you if you see what Jesus sees in you? The gospel who makes you perfectly right changes how you treat people. You know, before I let you go, there is a chance, because religion always lurks, there might be a few of you who leave this room and say, well, thank God I'm not like those uptight religious people, those ah, legalists out there, those non-reformed people, and pharisaical people. Thank God I'm not like a Pharisee. Don't you see right away how religion lurks and everyone has to find ways to feel better about themselves? But here's how Christians feel better about themselves. Here's how Christians feel better about themselves and here's how Christians actually get better. Because we look at someone who became just like you to live and die for you. And because he lived and died for you, he sees you and here's what he sees. You are all right with me. No, no, actually, let's move farther than that. You're not just all right with me. You are perfect to me. You are absolutely perfect. I love you. I accept you. I approve of you. I am proud of you. I am utterly thrilled and pleased that you could belong to me. When you see what Jesus sees and you see what you need from him, which is mercy, you're going to finally drink from the real Holy Grail. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this rich word. We thank you for the gospel that exposes and heals all of us from trying to feel better about ourselves by our own righteousness. Lord, I ask, oh God, that you would set people free. Pour out your love for Jesus' sake. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.